What a sweet morning of worship today. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, and we're in chapter number five today. So you have your copy of God's Word, Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. Can I get a little bit more light on my, the platform, on my podium, please? Matthew's Gospel, chapter number five. We invite you to uh, open your copy of God's Word and follow along with us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse number 3. This is part of our reading plan, and uh, every week we're reading together through the New Testament. And so this past week we were in Matthew chapter 5. If you're following along with that plan, you can find that on our website. And join us, follow along, jump right in where we're at. And follow us. This is one of the most famous portions of Matthew's gospel. It's the word of our Savior in a message that was delivered on what's called the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Beatitudes near Capernaum, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Those who have gone with me to Israel, we always make that one of our stops. It's still today such a picturesque place overlooking the sea. And we have a devotional there, and often we'll look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5. The text today is called the Beatitudes. It means the blessing. It means blessedness, divine joy, happiness. It's the fullness of joy and contentment. And as we look at this, it is speaking to the life that Christ's followers have that's different than this world. Folks, Christ has called us to live counterculturally, not along with the culture, but counter to it in a life that is different than this world. I was in a series of meetings with some other men this week uh, in Kansas City, and one of the things that we spent a long time talking about is how do we live in this broken, confused, and fallen world? How do we teach our people in the midst of this? And I, I just couldn't help that Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. And about my attitude and about how do I live. And it addresses about having the right attitude toward myself. That I am poor in spirit and broken and, and sorrowful. And I need God's touch in my own life. It addresses how am I to live. How, how do I live in my relationship and my attitude towards sin. And that I'm not to cover my sin, not to excuse my sin, not to coddle my sin. But I am not to let it rule over me, but live differently. About my attitude toward my Lord and to live like him and to be merciful and loyal and a peacemaker in this world. That we might be the children of God in this broken world. And then my relationship with the world. And that I need to understand that the world will hate me and the world will cause me trouble. But Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. And our citizenship is not here. It's there. 
And God has left us here to proclaim the good news in this broken world. So today, I want you to hear afresh the words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Bless you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, we ask that you would examine us, convict us, encourage us, strengthen us, teach us. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you might captivate our hearts. I pray that we would set aside every distraction. And I pray that we would hear you speaking to us. Oh God, we need you. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number three, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In Luke's gospel, it says, Blessed are the poor. I think Matthew helps us understand exactly what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means that the life of real blessing begins when you understand our broken condition because of sin in our lives. How many of you have ever felt broken because of sin in your own life? Cast down? Anybody ever feel defeated in your life? Lowly in your spirit? Defeated by a sin that you thought you'd overcome that raised its ugly head in your life? Or a sin that plagues you again and again and you've suffered in the battle with it? Or that you failed in a relationship? Or that you feel empty and bankrupt? Anybody ever feel absolutely empty on the inside? He said, blessed, happy (laughs) are the poor in spirit. Why? Because it leads you to finding life. In Isaiah chapter number 57, you have your copy of God's word. In Isaiah, 
Listen to the prophet, chapter 57, beginning with verse 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. Aren't you glad that God's a God of revival? For he will not accuse you forever. I will not always be angry. For then the spirit would grow weak before me. Even the breath which I have made. Because of his sinful greed I was angry. So I struck him. I was angry and I hid. But he went on turning back to the decrees of his heart. I've seen his ways. But I will heal him. I will lead him. And restore comfort to him and his mourners. Creating words of praise. The Lord says, peace. Peace to the one who's far or near. And I will heal him. Woo! That is my God. He is holy and high and exalted, yet he loves sinners. And he calls them to himself and revives them again and puts praise in our mouth as he restores us again. Anybody here get happy about that besides me? This is what my God will do. Isaiah 66, verse number 1. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things so they will all come into being. And this is the Lord's declaration. I'll look favorably on this kind of person one who's humble and submissive in spirit or broken in spirit and trembles at my word. Amen. This is the poverty of self. When you come to the end of your self-dependence, and you come to realize the brokenness and emptiness of this life of sin and independence from God. And you come to realize that you were made by him, that you are loved by him, and life is found in him. And that's when the poor in spirit run to him that I have no resources to save myself spiritually. Only my salvation only is found in Jesus Christ. That God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And without God, I am absolutely undone. 
in the year that King Isaiah died, in the midst of the grief and the sorrow of Isaiah the prophet, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. In all of its holiness, in the seraphim, we're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The fullness of God was there. The place was filled with the holiness of God. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. And I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. What am I going to do? I am toast. He was poor in spirit. And one of the seraphim went to the altar and took a burning coal and flew to Isaiah and put it to his lips. And the sin was removed. Wow. That's what God does. Outside of Jericho sat a blind man crying out. He was the son of Timaeus. So the people called him Bart Timaeus. He was blind. He was poor. He was empty. He was a beggar. And he heard Jesus of Nazareth was passing that way. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tried to hush him up. Shut up. But he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they brought him to Jesus. And he said to him, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. And he healed him. And he started following Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? That's the right avenue to find God. Hmm. The problem is we say that we're rich. We say that we're not blind. We say that we're not needy. That's the road to destruction, not the road to life. The blessing is found when we are honest about our brokenness. Amen? Well, I better move to the next point or we'll be here until next week. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The blessing is for the sorrowful, for those who mourned, those who grieved in spirit, who are troubled in their soul. The trouble is deep inside of you. You feel a grief and an emptiness and a loneliness of loss. Anybody ever lost anything in your life? The feeling of what was is gone. The feeling of what could have been is gone. It's not. 
John Stott said that it includes the loss of innocence, the loss of the righteousness of self, the loss of self-respect. What I thought I had or could have had, it's gone. And I grieve. Grief looks for and longs for comfort and hope. You ever grieved in your life? Just wait. We all grieve in this world. But he's not talking about the grief of a loss of a loved one here. Although he does come to us in that grief too. And he is the God of all comfort. Amen. Who comforts us in all of our affliction. But those who mourn because of their own sinfulness and sin, then we grieve too. And that grief is different. Do you remember when Peter's piped up and he said, you know what, though everybody else might leave you, I'll never leave you. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me what? Three times. And within just a few hours, that came, prophecy came true. And Peter's in the courtyard cursing and saying he doesn't even know the man. And after the third, the rooster crows. And Jesus, the Bible says in Luke, Luke looked at him. And when they locked eyes... Peter went away and wept bitterly. Why did he weep? Because it's sin. Do you weep about your sin? But did Christ give up on him? No, he came to him. And after the resurrection, he sought him out and on the seashore, don't you remember, again, three times, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He said, then quit feeling sorry for yourself and feed my sheep and take care of my people. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. He is the God of all comfort. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, chapter 61, verse number one, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, Splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees. Oaks of righteousness. Planted by the Lord to glorify him. Listen, that's what my God does. He takes broken and mournful people. And he turns them into mighty oaks. Amen. Amen.
Maybe you say, yeah, but Brother Tim, you don't know all the ways I failed God. That's true, I don't. And you don't know all the ways that I failed God. But I would never be so arrogant to think that my sin is deeper than his grace. Amen. Dark is that stain I cannot hide. What shall avail to wash it away? Look, look, there's flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. That's God's grace. It's greater than all of our sin. Number three, notice in this text, blessed are the meek, the humble, because they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean, the humble, the gentle, the meek? They shall inherit the earth. It says, the humble are those who are strong in the Lord. We think meekness or gentleness or humility is weakness. It is not weakness. It's just the opposite of weakness. It's strength. Humble people know who they are in relationship to God and others. And they exhibit a humility that's strength. And he says, blessed are the humble because they'll inherit the earth. Because humble people, they know how to serve others. They can do that because they're strong in who they are in the Lord. And so they're able to lead others. The greatest leaders are humble leaders. They refuse to fight for every perceived slight. If you're the kind of insecure person that anytime anybody ever is perceived to have slighted you, you got to take that on. You are not a great leader. You're not an humble leader. You're an insecure leader. Narcissistic leader. A self-absorbed person. See, unbelievers, they don't keep track of every wrong done against them. They don't have to fight about every issue. They know who they are. And they know who's in charge of this world. And they lead. And that's the great, the Bible says that Moses was the greatest leader among men in his day. And Jesus, I submit to you, is the greatest and most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus knew who he was, and Jesus led. Jesus knew what God had called him to do. John 13, Jesus said, the Bible says, John, John says, Jesus arose from dinner knowing who he was and where he was going. He humbled himself and washed those disciples' feet. In Philippians chapter 2, he did not think equality was God, a thing to be grasped, clutched, held on to. But he humbled himself. He took on the likeness of man, dwelt among men, humbled himself, becoming like a slave. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. There's no one stronger in all the world than Jesus Christ. The strongest people don't have to protect themselves. That way they can give and they can serve. 
Are you a humble person? This is what real humility looks like. Real humility does not keep accounts. You don't have to keep an account of what I've done. You don't have to keep an account of what others are doing. You don't have to keep an account of what you've given. You don't have to keep an account of what I deserve. That's not how humble people operate. Humble people, they know who they are. And so they do understand who they are. Secondly, they trust God with their life. My life's in his hands. And finally, humble people have an ability and a capacity to love genuinely because they're humble. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. We're often not satisfied. We seek the wrong things and not the good things. You ever feel a little bit of discontentment in your soul? Every time I go on a diet, I have some discontentment in my gut. I find myself foraging. Looking for something. I find myself standing in front of the refrigerator with the door open. Not knowing what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for something. Or the pantry door. And then I close it. Because I desire not to fill myself with good things. And when I'm not satisfied, I'm discontented, and I'm grazing and looking, and I'm wanting to fill the emptiness. And the truth of the matter is, my soul will never be satisfied until I find my satisfaction in the Lord. In John's Gospel, Jesus encounters a woman who doesn't have contentment. She can't find satisfaction, and she's looked here and there and everywhere to try and find this satisfaction. It's only brought devastation in her life. And so in this Samaritan village, the disciples go inside to find some food, and Jesus is sitting outside by the well. You know the story. And in the fourth chapter of John... Jesus has this encounter with this woman who comes out not in the normal time of day that women would come to draw water, but she comes where she doesn't have to encounter the crowd. And in chapter number 4, verse 13, Jesus has a conversation with her about the water that she's drawing. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And she doesn't understand what he's saying, but she says, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and come here and draw water. Now watch what Jesus does. 
Why don't you go call your husband? And come back here. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you've had five. And the one you're with now is not yours. Jesus is getting ready to offer a woman who's hungered and thirsted. But not for righteousness. And it's brought nothing but devastation in her life. But he said, if you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'll give you water that will satisfy forever. How do we live in this broken world? We need to point them to Jesus, the one that satisfies our souls. Amen? Amen. I need to move on. But in the book of Revelation, in chapter number 7, I just want to encourage you from God's word for a moment. You say, Brother Tim, will God satisfy our souls? Yes, he's going to. Look with me in chapter number 7, beginning with verse number 16. Remember this amazing picture of seeing those who've come out of the tribulation and God has saved them and rescued them and he says who are these in the white robes where'd they come from in chapter 7 verse 14 it says sir you know these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation they washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb for this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And the one seated, listen, the one seated on the throne. Who is that? He will shelter them. He's going to take care of them for all of eternity. Now listen. And they'll no longer hunger and no longer thirst. And the sun will no longer strike them. Nor any scorching heat. For the lamb who's at the center of the throne will shepherd them. And he'll guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Woo! Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. I'm going to have a fit right here, even if nobody else does. Blessed are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. Anybody here ever struggle with forgiveness? You don't have to raise your hand. You could raise both. We all do, don't we? Peter struggled with it too. The Pharisees taught that a man ought to forgive at least three times. So Peter thought he was being pretty generous. 
And he says to the Lord, how often must I forgive my brother when he's sinned against me? Up to seven times? Here's what Peter's thinking. I'll double what the Pharisees say and add one more for good measure. Up to seven times? And Jesus said, Pete, how about seven times 70? So he pulls out his calculator. And he said, well, that's 490 times. Might as well forgive them all the time. Yes, that's the deal. Peter, let me tell you a story. Uh-oh. There was a man, a master, who, owed, who had a slave who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent is 6,000 denarii, one talent. One talent is 20 years of income. And he owes 10,000 talents. He has a debt he could never pay. And he says, he cries out for mercy. And he's forgiven. But then he had a fellow slave that owed him, the slave that owed all that money, a thousand denarii. That's a little over three months. And he refused to forgive. And in the end, it brought judgment on his head. We are to show mercy. If you've received mercy, you give mercy. When you've been loved by God, then you love your neighbor. We are made to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. And when there's unmercifulness in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart, then you know your heart's not been changed before God. Blessed are the pure in heart because they'll see God. By pure in heart, it doesn't mean just clean heart, but loyal in heart. And some, it means that we're loving God alone. Look with me to the Psalms 62. Psalm 62, and look, if you will, for, in verse number 1. It's talking about the loyalty of your heart. Psalm 62 Verse 1, I am in rest in God alone. Notice, it, notice every time he says that God alone. I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Verse 2, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Verse 5, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. Verse 6. Verse 7. I mean, let's look at verse 5. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. Verse 7. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in him. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. God alone. My heart is loyal to him. My allegiance is to him. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
You're to love and trust Jesus Christ alone. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. I will praise you with all of my heart. Love my God. Uh, Lord my God, and I will honor your name forever. Do you love him with all of your heart? It says, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Moving on. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Jesus came to establish peace. Jesus destroyed the enmity, the thing that was hostile against us. And Jesus has now reconciled us to God through himself. And he has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Those who are far away Gentiles and those who are near the Jews have all been brought together through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the alt is the ultimate peacemaker. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 look at the scripture Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, old to pass away, and the new has come. Everything's from God, who reconciled to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God. He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That means we are to help people be reconciled to God, but also to one another. And he's given us the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why peacemakers are called the sons of God, because that's exactly what the Son of God came to do, to reconcile. Believers in God's kingdom don't stir the pot and bring more conflict. Listen, you're never more like Jesus than when you help other people be reconciled to each other and to God. But you're never more like the devil when you try to get people divided with one another. Amen. And you coddle them in their rebellion against God. Amen. And number eight, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people persecute you, when they persecute you because of me. He said they persecuted the ancient prophets the same way. He said, blessed are you when men persecute you, insult you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. But you rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your Reward which is in heaven. Amen. 
Listen, you're not alone in this. When the world turns on you and hates you, they hated me. Are you above your master? Are you greater than Jesus? No. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute you. And in this world, we'll have trouble. Amen. But he has overcome the world. Yes, Lord. And when we identify with him, we are close with him. And we're in fellowship with him. And that's when our light shines. Because you, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt is lost, its saltiness, how shall it be made salty again? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you, you are the light of the world. And a city that's set on a hill can't be hid. And neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, a lamp shade. But they set it on a table so that all may see. Let your light so shine before men that they may see by your good works and glorify God who's in heaven. That's who you are. He's the light. And you are called to be light in this world. And when you suffer for righteousness, you're close with Jesus. And you're a bright light in this world. Whoo! I got goosebumps on my goosebumps right now. That is the people that God's called us to be. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? All of this kingdom living doesn't make sense if you don't know Christ. Now I want to share the good news with you briefly before we take the Lord's Supper. And I want you to listen closely. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I ask you to turn from your sin. And put your faith in Jesus alone. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not even one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you all agree with me? We've all Amen. sinned. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Amen. The Bible tells us sin kills us all. And we've all sinned. And every one of us are under the judgment of eternal death. But the Bible says God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the Bible tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners deserving death, Christ died for us. And Christ died for you. 
The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today, my friend, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. But come to him. And he will save you. He will save you now. Do y'all believe that? Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is tenderly calling the home. Calling today calling today why from the sunshine of love wilt thou roam farther and farther away Jesus is calling the weary to rest he's calling today calling today bring him thy burden and thou shalt be blessed he will not turn thee away Jesus is waiting. Oh, come to him now. Waiting today. Waiting today. Come with thy sins at his feet, lowly bow. Come and no longer delay. Jesus is pleading. Oh, list to his voice. Hear him today. Hear him today. They who believe on his name shall rejoice. Quickly arise and away. Calling today. Calling today. Jesus is calling. He's tenderly calling today. Do you hear him? Say yes to Jesus. Be saved today. He loves you. He's here. Give your life to Christ and be saved. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and our lives this day. I thank you for this message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of new life. It's a message of a new culture. But it also implies a message of salvation. And I pray that today, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today they might by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, turn away from sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved today. Have your way. Father, I pray that right now we'd pray a prayer just like this. Dear God, I know I've sinned. I know I've gone the wrong way in my life and I ask you to forgive me. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for all of my sin. And I repent today. And I put my faith and trust in him. God, save me. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen.